0: It is good to see you. I hope everybody had a great summer Christmas. Man, I guess that's what people that live in Florida feel like on Christmas. I saw some of y'all running around with shorts and flip-flops on Christmas, and it ain't supposed to be that way. I'm just saying. Anyway, it's exciting exciting uh, week here uh, today as we are entering into the new year. Excited to see what God has in store, not only for you and your family, uh, but also for here at our church. I don't know if you realize today, but each of us, as we breathe in this very moment, are running in a race. Now, some of you might be thinking like myself. You're like, listen, Joseph. Anything that has to do with running, I'm out, okay? Like, that's totally me. I don't know what it is. If I ain't running with sports, I don't want to do it. I hate running. I'm terrible at it. Some of you are gifted Jeremy Wynn. He's the, he's the track guy. He is gifted at running. My wife likes running for fun. Who likes running for fun? That just makes no sense to me. But races are not something that I typically get excited for. But each of us today are running in the race called Life And this morning, as we begin this new year, I think the Apostle Paul has a special challenge for us as we run our race. Because you see, there's two types of people, two types of runners in the race. The first is the type of runner that runs aimlessly. They don't have any specific goal. They don't have any specific target. They're just running to run. And the second type of runner is somebody that's a little bit different. They have a different point of view, and they have a goal in mind. And the second type of person is the type of person that runs to win and runs to get a prize. And I believe that the Apostle Paul this morning is challenging us to run into this new year of 2020 in such a way that we run to win and get a prize. So this morning, I'm going to ask that you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll give you a second to turn there. I was supposed to tell you right when I walked up and I forgot. I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 24 through 27. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. For the prize. Jesus, in this moment, God, as we open up your word, God, would you speak to our hearts now? In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The title of the sermon this morning is the three Ps to win your race. We're going to talk about three different words that start with the letter P that I believe are absolute necessity in order for you to win a race that you will win. So, right off the bat, if you look in verse 24, the Apostle Paul starts out by asking us a question. He says, Hey, do you not realize that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? My mind takes me back to middle school, and I don't know if I said this or not, but I hate running and uh, at the beginning of practice every day, we would have to go up to the track and we would have to run a mile and I don't know what, man, I would make myself sick thinking about it, I hated it, it hurt I wasn't good at it, I felt like I was going to die every time and these other, little, these other little skinny boys they had a different perspective, they were, they were like, hey, today my goal is to uh, win in the mile and I'm like, hey my goal today is not to die when we won the mile, okay, like that's just how I was I just, I hated it and so as we would start running, <coughs> I quickly noticed that the other boys, their pace was at a totally different level than mine. I'd be running just trying to make it, and they're sitting here lapping me, and I'm like, how in the world can I keep up with that pace? I can't do it. You see, that is a great illustration of the current setting of the Apostle Paul's life. You see, he is hitting his runner's peak, or runners like to call it a runner's high. He is uh, firing away at full capacity, maximum output. And he is just running in such a way that he's like, man, am I, am, am I running fast or something? Because I'm lapping all these people. Do they not know that we're supposed to run in such a way as to get a prize? That takes us to our first point this morning. In order to win the race, you have to run with the right perspective. You see, Paul, he's not wasting any time. Paul's running hard, and he looks over beside him, and he's like, Man, is it me, or is everybody around me loafing? Because, you see, Paul had the proper perspective. But those around him, they did not have the right perspective. Paul said, hey, I am running with bigger goals in mind. I know what it's like to be on the other side apart from God and friend. I ain't going back. You see, Paul says, I'm running with a purpose and a goal and a mission that is far greater than me. You see, folks, when you run without perspective... You limit your focus to temporary needs and earthly pleasures and only worry about today. But when you run with perspective, you focus on what is required to reach your goal, and you have a plan for tomorrow. Don't we do this sometimes? We're running our race, and if we're not careful, (coughs) we lose perspective. We begin chasing after the wrong things. We begin chasing after temporary needs, earthly pleasures, things of no value. Maybe we're chasing after possessions or this certain picture of how we want our life to be. And before you know it, if we're not careful, not only are we chasing the wrong things, but we are running the wrong race. As a matter of fact, we don't even know how we got there, but we are running somebody else's race, chasing after them. And we do this all the time in life. We see other people's lives. We're just like, Man, I wish I could be like them. I wish I could have the success that they have. I wish I could have the house that they have. I wish I could have the image that they have. And we covet others. What happens is we lose perspective trying to measure up. And folks, I'm here today to tell you that the only person <clears throat> that we should be chasing after is Jesus. Jesus says, hey, if you want to imitate somebody, be an imitator of me. Because, you see, Jesus didn't have an earthly perspective. Jesus had a heavenly perspective. Jesus wasn't worried about things that would satisfy his flesh. He was worried about things that would satisfy him in eternity. And the apostle Paul was the same way. He raised his gaze and had a heavenly perspective. Paul says, I'm not just looking at today, but I'm going to have a plan for tomorrow, okay? I've got the end game in mind. I am big game hunting, and I'm not going to get distracted by these petty things. No, I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize, and I'm going to have the right perspective. Look at verse 25. It says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it. To get a crown that will last forever I'm gonna focus on the second part of this verse first and then we're gonna come back to the beginning <clears throat> folks do you know that in heaven the Bible tells us that there are heavenly crowns and rewards that we are eligible for and we are able to win if we run our race in a certain way you see the Greek word for the word crown is the word Stephanos. And this comes after Stephen, the martyr, who gave his life up proclaiming the gospel. And this word for crown, it means a badge of royalty in the public games or a symbol of honor. And so what was used in the ancient Greek games is they would the, the winner of the race would receive a garland of leaves that would be placed on the victor's head. And so this word in the New Testament, it was used figuratively as a reward in heaven set out for the person that was faithful. As a matter of fact, there are five spiritual crowns in heaven that those who follow Jesus are eligible for. The first is the crown of righteousness. Maybe you've heard of some of these before. The second is the crown of life. Third is the crown of glory. Fourth is the crown of rejoicing. And the fifth is, is the incorruptible crown. This one specifically is for those who are disciplined and run a good race in the Christian life. And the incorruptible crown is a specific crown that Paul's speaking about when he's talking about this passage. He says, hey, this crown is for those who show endurance. And one day, those who attain it, it will be held in their heavenly inheritance. So Paul's saying, hey, look, you can chase after these these earthly crowns that are leaves and are one day going to turn to brittle, and they're one day going to fade away. He said, not me. I'm going to raise my gaze. I'm going to have a heavenly perspective, and I'm chasing crowns that will last forever. Our second point this morning is in order to win your race, you have to know your Purpose. You see, these two ideas are connected because you, until you have the proper perspective, you can't know God's purpose for your life. We define this word purpose purpose is a person's reason for existence or reason or a thing that they are to achieve in life. And you see, purpose gives us so many things, purpose helps us with life's decisions. Purpose influences our behavior. Purpose shapes our goals. Purpose gives us meaning and self-worth. Purpose dictates what you value. It dictates what you give your time to, and it also dictates what you give your money to. And friends, every person that walks on God's green earth has a God-given purpose. But you see, the question is, Will they live in such a way of obedience that they fulfill God's purpose for their life? So friends, as we begin this morning, I ask you this simple question. What is God's purpose for your life? I don't mean that like generally. Like, yes, we are all created to bring glory to God. I agree. But you specifically, where God has planted you at today in your life, what is your purpose? Because if we're being honest, too many people, Christians and non-Christians, are chasing the wrong purposes. They don't even realize it, but they're running the wrong race. Look at verse 25 again. It says, they do it to get a crown that will not last. They're placing their purpose in their wrong things. And maybe today, if you're honest, you're like, ah, maybe that's kind of me. Maybe you've placed your purpose in your job. Maybe you've placed your purpose in wealth and how much money you can accrue over your life. Maybe you find purpose in gaining success and whatever it is that you do in your life. Maybe you are seeking accolades or status. Maybe your purpose is having great possessions, having a nice home, having a nice car. And friends, hear me out. While those things are all in good, and I, I, I like many of those things, But if you place your sole purpose in those things, it will leave you empty, it will leave you unsatisfied, and you will live a lonely life. You see, when you run without purpose, it's like driving with no destination and no directions. Or it's like a body without a soul. But when you run with purpose, you align your thinking with God's plan and will for your life, and you chase after Him. You see, the first half of Paul's life, Paul had the wrong purpose. As a matter of fact, (coughs) Paul's purpose was to kill Christians. He was the number one Christian killer. And one day as Paul was walking on his race, he was on his way to Damascus, and all of a sudden he had a heavenly encounter with Jesus Christ. And Jesus spoke to him and said, hey, yo, Paul, what are you doing you're living for the wrong purpose. Paul, why are you persecuting me in my church? And in that split second, when Paul had an encounter with the Spirit of God, Paul changed his life and his purpose changed forever. As a matter of fact, he tells us what his purpose is in Colossians 1. He went from killing Christians to building Christians. Colossians 1 verse 24 says this, <coughs> Says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, for the sake of his body, which is his church. I have become its servant by the commission that God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. He is the one that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all the wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So Paul's telling us his purpose. He says, hey, I know my reason for living. I am a servant to the king. I am here to proclaim the gospel. If that means that I've got to suffer to push the gospel forward, so be it. If that means I've got to give up my freedom to push the gospel forward, so be it. And see, what Paul did is he didn't settle when he reached his goals. He continued to elevate his thinking and to raise the bar and to raise the standard. You see, many times we start off in life setting physical goals. Paul said, physical goals, I conquered that a long time ago. The physical realm does nothing to me. He says, that's fine. You want to take away my food and starve me? no problem you want to take away my freedom and put me in chains no problem because remember my letter in Philippians he says I've learned what it means to be content in all situations and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me so I no longer have a heavenly perspective or I no longer have a worldly perspective but I now have a heavenly perspective and a heavenly purpose so I ask you again what is your purpose for living What is it that God is calling you into? Maybe in this new year in 2020, God is calling you to raise your standard, to expand your capacity. Maybe God has planted you right where he wants you to be so that you can live out your purpose. Fathers, in setting a godly home and teaching your children what it means to follow Christ. Maybe your purpose needs to start out husbands by Leading your wives. Maybe your purpose is God has placed a family member in your life that does not know Him. And He wants to use you as a vessel to reach them. Maybe at your job, God has placed people around you that are far from God. And you are the only Jesus that they will ever see. Folks, we have to know what our purpose is. You see, here's the thing. As we go through the different seasons of life, Sometimes your purpose can change, but the core of that purpose will always be the same. See, Paul had tapped into this spiritual maturity, and today, if you're struggling, you feel like, you know what, i just, in this current season, I'm in, I just really don't know what my clear purpose is. Friends, if that's you, I challenge you just to begin to pray as we're sitting here right now, just begin to ask God, God, what would you have me do in my life where I'm planted right now? God, am I, am I, uh, fulfilling my full maximum potential. And ask God to be, begin to speak to you today. Look at verse 25 as we go back to the beginning of the verse. It says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. So here's the thought here. Once you know your purpose, you are properly motivated to train and set and reach your goal. Because think about it, you can't train until you know what you're training for. And folks, I'll be honest, we train for a lot of things in life. We take a lot of things with the utmost seriousness and discipline. We're trained with our jobs. We are not late for work. Uh-uh, if we get late for work, we're, we're in trouble. That's high priority. We are trained for school. We study. We do our homework. We don't ever miss any days. We're trained for our sports teams and our vacations and all these other things. And I, as I began to think about that, I said, why is it that we have all these things that we treat with supreme importance, but we don't treat our faith life and our church life the same way? Why is that? You know, I came across two things on Facebook that really, really hit home with me. The first one, it says this. It said, church should be your excuse for missing things, not the other way around. Man, that's so true. I'm guilty of myself. Hey, I didn't see you last week. Yeah, I know. We had a thing. Oh, well, next week, can we? Ah, oh, we got a thing, too. And some of us folks, we wonder when our children become adults, Like, why don't they take faith life important? What type of faith life did you model? Did you set it for supreme importance? And I'm not just talking about coming to church, I'm talking about faith in general. What about this second one? Sunday church attendance is a Saturday decision. Ooh. Some of you, I've had conversations. I've had co- some conversation with some of your small group leaders. They're like, man, I've invited them and I've invited them and I've invited them, but at, at the end of the day, they've got to be the ones that have the want to. I can't want it for them. Folks, if you say you value something, let your actions follow suit. Make it a priority. Because I'm here today to tell you that there is a difference between trying and training. I hear people say all the time, hey, how, how are you doing on that thing you're trying to do? Well, I tried. I I tried. I didn't succeed. but I. T-. What do you mean you try? Well, I gave a little bit of effort. You know, If I didn't make it all the way and I didn't finish my race, it's fine. I, I tried to cross the finish line. It's like trying, what? Paul says, no, no, that's not how I run my race. He says, that at a certain point in life, fathers, husbands, you got to draw a line in the sand and say, for our family, this is how we are going to do it. This is what is of ultimate importance, and this is how we are going to train to know Christ more. Stop trying and start training. Because if you want to run in such a way to gain a crown and fulfill your purpose, you have to have holy habits and spiritual discipline. You've got to put the work in. Look at verse 26. It says, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The third point this morning is this. In order to win your race, you have to run with passion. See, these three things are connected. Purpose, sorry, perspective plus purpose equals passion. And if there's one thing that the Apostle Paul knew and the one thing that he got right, it was passionate. See, there's all sorts of definitions for this word, but passion is a compelling emotion or a deep feeling. And if you think about it, passion can make you do some crazy stuff, right? Like when you're passionate, you can achieve things that you never thought you would be able to do. And there are certain things in your life, certain areas that without passion, you have nothing. Think about your relationships. Think about some of you when you met your wife. You're in high school and you're walking one day and you saw her across, like, like man, I don't know who that is, but I got to meet that girl. And you go meet her and y'all start dating. And you're like, ooh, man, I'm gonna take her on a date. And you fixing your hair and you're getting all stuff. Man, I'm passionate about her. You know I'm talking about when you're a teenager and you start talking on the phone, and <clears throat> first you like starts goes from one hour then to five hours, and I it's like, girl, let's talk on the phone all night. I'm passionate about you. I want to hear you snore, girl. You you y'all know what I'm talking about. You're passionate, it's like, hey, you got that bubbling up in you, and then some of you, I see on Facebook, you're so passionate, you use these little pet names for your husband, oh, I love my little pookie bear, my little honey bun, or some of you guys got to take your, your man card away, you say, oh, I love my wifey, or my little hubby, and I just cringe, because man, that's not me, I can't do it, but hey, kudos to you, because you're passionate about your relationships, right, you're passionate, what about your dreams, You see, your dreams will not make it if you don't have passion. Some of your dreams are too tough. They're too hard to achieve. They cost too much. You've got to give up too great a sacrifice to reach your dreams. You see, passion is what will propel you forward. What about faith without passion? Have you ever been to a church that lacks passion? Folks, can I be frank? What a miserable place. There's nothing more miserable than going to something that's supposed to be a place, uh, the, the uh, light on top of the hill. There's, there's the place that's supposed to be the hospital where we're able to come get help. And we walk in and there's no passion. You know what faith without passion is? It's dead religion. It's tradition. It's dead weight. It's dry. It affects nothing and it has zero impact and folks may someone never enter into this building and say man that burning bush baptist church they're nice and all but they lack passion you see there's almost a misnomer because sometimes people say well you know passion is just enthusiasm or emotionalism they're just getting emotional but you see passion requires commitment Some of you say, well, you know, my personality type's not real. I'm just not the passionate type. And I say baloney. Everybody has passion, but the question is, where is your passion pointed? Because, you see, passion can be pointed in a positive direction, or it can be pointed in a negative direction. Have any of you ever been on the wrong side of somebody's negative passion? Oh, you want to talk about the fear of God. I was driving about a month ago down East Ridge, and I was uh, working at a ministry where I was picking up... um, Kids to take them to the ministry, and I was driving an old van. And uh, right there on East Ridge, my van died and my battery died at the stoplight, and it was like rush hour. All of a sudden, man, I just hear, get out of the way, you idiot, what are you doing? And there's people screaming at me, and this guy, I'm like, hey, hey, come on, pass me. like my battery's dead, what do you expect me to do? And I'm waving, them, I'm waving, and this specific guy behind me, he's just cursing at me, so I'm like, ooh, Lord's gonna get you, he's saying every word under the sun, he's flipping me the bird, I'm like, dude, my battery's dead, I can't go anywhere, come on. You see, that guy was passionate, but he had misplaced His passion. Look at verse 26 again. It says, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. So here we see Paul saying, Hey, kudos for boxing hard and fighting passionately. Kudos for running passionately. But here's the problem. You're running with misplaced passion. You're running the wrong race, running after the wrong thing. When I was a kid, my favorite movie growing up was Rocky, and I loved Rocky, and, you know, everybody loves Rocky, and I would walk around my house, you know, my mom would be like, what are you doing? I'm like, yo, Adrian, like, like I, I have the tiger, I have the tiger, focus, rock, and I'd, I'd walk around, and I'd just be, you know, sitting in the mirror, and I'd just be hitting, and you see, so many times in life, we're just swinging, we're hitting, and we're throwing nice punches, but the problem is we're not hitting anything. We're swinging, we're swinging, and we're just hitting air. You see, it's important where you place your passion, because passion is what produces willpower. And friends, let me tell you, willpower is not on will call. That means you do not have an endless amount of passion, so you need to know where you're pointing your passion, and you need to know where you're swinging. I hear people say all the time, man, I just feel apathetic. Like I, I, just, I just don't have any passion anymore. Friends, I'm here to tell you that most of the time when you feel apathetic, it's because you have misplaced your passion and you therefore feel tired. Swinging, hitting air. As we talk about boxing, my mind takes me to the greatest fight in the history of boxing, the Thrilla in Manila, Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman. (coughs) And George Foreman, he visually was strong. He was way stronger and way bigger and badder Then Muhammad Ali, but you see, Muhammad Ali was a smart fighter. And this was the most hyped up fight ever to take place. And so as the fight begins, Muhammad Ali comes out a little slow. And George Foreman, he comes out and man, he's just wailing. He's getting hail makers and knockout blows in the first round. Everybody's like, what's Ali doing? Why ain't he fighting? And Foreman's landing all these punches. And by about the third round, somebody said, oh, wow. You see what he's doing? He's doing what they call a rope-a-dope. George Foreman's hitting him with all these blows. And they look nice, but they're not hitting the right spot. And the blows that he's swinging, they're not actually hurting him. And see, Ali learned how to take the punches. And you see, Foreman had the wrong perspective. And he's swinging, and he's giving it everything he's got. And by about the ninth round, you do that for nine rounds, you're dead tired. He's like, man, what do I got to do to take this guy down? And then in the tenth round, everything changed. George Foreman realized he had no more passion and energy. And he's swinging, and his swings get slower and slower. And Muhammad Ali began to take him down, chop the tree down because it had nothing left. Folks, doesn't Satan do that to us all the time? He gets us so focused on these things in life. We're giving all this time, all this energy, all this passion to things that just don't matter. They don't matter. And there we are, left passionless, running aimlessly, swinging at the wrong things. Folks, you only have a certain amount of passion, so you better point it in the right direction. Whatever you do, whatever your purpose is, do it with passion. Look at verse 27. It says, No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached... I myself will not be disqualified for the crown. You see, Paul's not talking about not making it to heaven here. No, he's talking about being disqualified for the prize and the crown that is at hand. Paul has one mission and one mission only, and that is to win and to win a prize. You see, Paul had learned how to tap into all three phases. You can't have one without the other. Paul had a heavenly perspective, which led to a God-ordained purpose, which equated in the right direction. Passion. When you have the right perspective with the right purpose and the right passion, you win every time. Some of you today, if you're honest, say, Joseph, I'm running my race, but I'm not doing a very good job. As a matter of fact, I'm catching blows from every angle. Satan's attacking me, he's attacking my family. Maybe you're facing financial trouble. Maybe you're facing a relational burden. And you're like, man, I'm trying to run, but I don't feel like I can take another step. Friend, if that's you, I want you to watch this video this morning. Folks, maybe today you're the hobbled runner. And as I watched that, and as the young man with everything that he had found the strength to stand and keep moving, Little did he know that there was someone that was pursuing him. Father running. said, no, sir, you can't come on the track. He said, no, you don't understand. That's my son. As the man was running, he felt a touch on his back. Who other than the touch was father? When I watch that, my mind takes me to the prodigal son to the cross and many times we're that runner we're saying dad it hurts i can't run anymore and he says son yes you can don't quit he says i will give you everything you need to finish this race lean on me allow me to carry your weight let me bear your burden But dad, you don't understand, it hurts too bad. And God says, no, you don't understand. I sent Jesus to this earth to carry the cross and he died your death. He bared your burden. And just as Jesus showed that same passion of walking up to Calvary, you have that same passion in you today if you will just ignite it. He says that same spirit lives in you and just as Jesus rose from the dead you too rise with him so I tell you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth get up and walk he says you don't quit you run with everything you have I will give you my strength I will give you my peace I will give you the will to go on you're not done yet you fight you push and you run toward that crown You finish the race. You run to win. You run with perseverance. You run with honor. You run with dignity. You run with pride. Why? Because you are a child of the king. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. So church, today I challenge you. Run to win. Run to win to win you see Jesus and Paul became untouchable when you become untouchable on the inside you become unstoppable on the outside so today you run in such a way that you get a prize I'm going to steal the words of the apostle Paul May we one day look God in heaven in the face and say, God, I have run with perseverance the race marked out for me so that I can now say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race and I have kept the faith. And God in heaven looks back on his son and his daughter with love in his heart. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Would you pray with me today?